All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 35th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up two points, so we're going to call that flat for the week. The S&P 500 was up a little less than 10 points, or two-tenths of 1%, and the NASDAQ last week was up about 99 points, or seven-tenths of 1%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 9.4%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 19.9%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 37.6%. Just a typical regular year for the old NASDAQ, up 37.6%. But, you know, as we've been throwing in to these weekly numbers, and this is through Thursday's close, the equally weighted S&P 500 index is up 7.88% through Thursday. So, again, those Magnificent Seven, those uh, those tech stocks have been a big engine, big driving yeah. engine for this year. Yes, the NASDAQ's had, had a remarkable recovery. However, I will point out that we're still a little over 11% from the all-time high on the NASDAQ, which was reached uh, late in the fourth quarter of 2021. One. Yeah. So, well, it's, been, so it's more than two years. It's really for all, all all the averages. It'll have been unless we we well the Dow's pretty close. Yeah, the Dow's less than two percent from its uh, getting back to an all time high. There's an outside chance we might have an all time high uh, occur in the Dow before the end of the year. We have 14 trading days left. Uh, the S and P's got to get up, got to be up four and a half percent in the next 14 trading days. So. The other thing, I think the only way that happens is if uh, the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve uh, comes out on Wednesday next week and says they're, they're and, and and they have an, they cut interest rates this month and and uh, yeah then I think all of the indices would be at all time high but the likelihood of that happening is absolutely zero. <clears throat> uh, I do I I, I think there's a one hundred percent probability that whatever they say it might not be any different 
It may just be word for word what was said in the last Federal Reserve meeting. And Dad would say, okay, Jeff, that's enough about no. the Federal Reserve. Rinse well, and, it was rinse and repeat anymore. on the statement. That's and right, the odds of that happening are, are the same odds as Powell using the term transitory inflation again. So it's probably not going to happen. So. Well, talking about, talking about the S&P on Friday's close, it did set a 52-week high for the S&P 500 closing above 4,600. Um, on Friday, but when you look back at the technical charts, you know, getting into the technical weeds, the market, the S&P 500 for all intents and purposes has really been moving sideways or doing the market cha-cha since the middle of November before Thanksgiving, you know, two steps forward, two steps back. We've been really tracking in a sideways movement. Now, the question is, was this just kind of a cooling off period from the nice steep run-up that we had from the 4,103 intraday low? going back to, you know, the end of October, trying to work off maybe the overbought condition that we've been in and just moving sideways and kind of taking the pause that refreshes on the buy side. I mean, we'll see because, Jeff, like you just said earlier, the Fed has a meeting coming up this week or this week coming up. We also have the CPI, PPI number, Consumer Price Index, Producer Price Index. But the real big number for this week, and Jeff, before you started the show, you said this week was kind of a big nothing burger, right. which really is a great way to describe it because I think all this week a lot of investors were you know, really waiting for the big data point that came out on Friday, and that was the November jobs report. And so I have the statistics right here, so I'll, I'll just go into that. Um, so in the month of November, 199,000 jobs were created. The estimates were 190,000, so it was a little bit hotter than anticipated. But what was interesting is that the employment rate, the unemployment rate actually dropped two-tenths of a percent down to 3.7%, and the U6, which is considered true total unemployment, also came down to 6.7%. So it also came down, and it's really hovering around an all-time low for the U6 unemployment report. Now, I want to throw a little caveat because I think if you strip out the striking auto workers that went back to work and some of the other striking employees, I know California had some situations with some healthcare folks going on strike. When you strip those people out, the, the, the employment number was definitely below expectations. It was definitely below 190,000. Um, and so I would say for all of our listeners, take that employment data with a grain of salt. But it was received well. I would say I think the market kind of looked at it as more of a Goldilocks employment report, even with the unemployment rate dipping to 3.7. Yeah, Joe. A couple other numbers. What was wage growth up, Kyle? Four, four tenths, I believe. It was four, four tenths, tenths of a percent, which was in which was arm, in line. Well, no, it was in line with up. expectations. Product, yes, but productivity is up. I think more but, than five yes, percent. The, so. the participation rate is the highest it's been since before COVID. So that was a good piece of statistical news. Having a particip- employment participation rate as high as it was. Uh, and then I know we got a consumer sentiment number that came in hotter than expected on Friday also. So I think that gave a little bit of uh, positive feelings for investors on Friday. Well, I mean, it's reflected in the, you know, what happened on Friday. We had one of the better days of the week. It may have been the best day of the week. But another, another thing that was pretty much a nothing burger 
That'll be our word for the week. <laughs> yeah. His, his interest rates, as measured by the 10-year Treasury, hardly moved. Now we, I think we're up two one-hundredths of a percent for the week. So interest rates have, have done, uh, the ten years, for, at least from the 10 years perspective, did nothing in the week just past. I think they're all, I think there's a, there's a lot just waiting for whatever's going to be, you know, is there something new that's going to be said uh, next week in the in the Fed meeting? Is there going to be a word or two to change? Everyone is going to be trying to read between the lines as much as they can to try to glean any sort of uh, information that would support. Uh, I want to I say I heard this week someone say that the market was anticipating five interest rate increases next week. When we come back from break, we can all comment on that. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street this past week. Uh, I know, Jeff, we kind of ran into the end of a end of our segment in a commercial break, so you had to finish your point. Didn't know if you wanted to continue to expand now that we're back on the well, air. I had heard this just out of the corner of my ear, someone on CNBC repeating this, that that, that's, that there was some organization predicting, uh, you know, the, or they said this, this, this kind of blanket statement, quote, unquote, the market expected was pricing in five interest rate cuts next year by the Fed, and it's like, what? What are they talking about? Well, you go online, you start doing some searching, and there's some uh, not very well-known brokerage houses. I don't know if they need to get them, their name out there somehow, and so they come out with these what's, what, what appear to be on their face outlandish predictions for 2024. Uh, a company called ING, which I believe we believe is an insurance company, Forecast, big insurance company. Huge. Forecast the Fed is going to cut rates six times next year. And then Barclays, you know, who follows Barclays, expects four interest rate cuts in 2024. I don't know. Uh, well, I would say two things would have to happen. Yeah, exactly. Two, two things, two things would, have would have to happen. happen. One, one of two. would have to fall Really off of a cliff in a hurry. And you just talked about the unemployment numbers, and depending on how you slice them and dice them, looked like it was a, an okay report, and, and the uh, participation rate was the highest it's been since since before COVID, and the unemployment rate's down to 3.7%. Um, U6 at a historic low. Yeah, but, but so uh, so one of two things would have to happen: either one, the economy completely goes over a cliff, or two, inflation just slams the air brakes on as we get into twenty twenty four, 
and we have because we've been hearing, you know, the two camps, the bearish camp, the bullish camp, the hard landing, the soft landing. We're hearing more and more people talking about the soft landing as the data continues to roll in that, you know, maybe the Fed gets it right this time. As I've said on this program in the past, their batting average of bringing the economy in for a nice, soft, gentle touchdown with no tire smoke is very low. Maybe they get it right this time, but we don't know. And as we've been saying on this program, and I've been hearing this term more and more, Jeff. I don't know, Joe, if you guys have been catching this, but I've been hearing it more and more the last two weeks of investors not getting too far out over their skis. I heard it at least three times this past week. I'm like, hmm, who's been saying that on this program really going back to the beginning of the year? I've been saying don't get too aggressive. Don't get too far out over your skis because we're still lacking the breadth expansion in the market. And, and again, with, with the S&P being up almost 20% through Friday, the market isn't as healthy as the return number states that it is. That's why we say don't get too far out over your skis. But, Jeff, to your point, four to six interest rate cuts, those two, one of those two things would have to happen. Now, obviously, for us and all of our listeners, the economy going over a cliff is something we all don't, you know, we all don't want to have, have happen. So then that means that maybe they're betting that inflation is going to really continue to accelerate lower and lower while keeping the employment picture very nice, keeping consumer spending where it is, keeping consumer uh, confidence and consumer sentiment like the number that we got on Friday being above expectations. We can kind of continue on that trend because at the end of the day, we go back to the, the M2 money supply, which I know you guys break my chip, bust my chops every time I bring it up. We still have trillions of dollars sitting on the sidelines, not to mention corporate America has trillions of dollars sitting on the sidelines. How often do you think the White House's economic advisors are going to be paying attention to next year and what's going on? If the economy falls off a cliff next year, that's like nobody wants that. Okay, I'm not saying anybody wants that, but there are no. a lot of factors going into next year where there should be a little that's pressure a on point. Powell to make sure he, we have that soft landing. Because if there's a soft no. landing, I'm not saying that's going well, to impact yep. the election greatly, but go ahead, Jeff. Hold on. And, and no, no, and Joe, that's actually a great point because going into an election year, we know that they've the, the Biden administration has stopped using the term Bidenomics. Now, granted, they probably told him to stop using it, but he's not because he's not going to stop using it because he doesn't really know what day of the week it is. But they've stopped. They've tried to change the messaging mean because, uh, hey, I, I, I'm just calling it like I see it. I'm sorry. I'm going to call it like I see it. When the president states off teleprompter that he wouldn't be running if it wasn't for Donald Trump, that pretty much tells you that a vote for Biden means you're voting for next in line because if he was to win, he would immediately resign. And whoever was number two, Kamala, Kamala, whatever you want, you know, he would take over. You know, she would take over. So a vote for Biden's a vote for Kamala Harris. I mean, that's that's plain and simple. So you're right, Joe. The if the economy falls off a cliff, that is the absolute last death nail for the Biden administration. And so even though the Fed is supposed to be bipartisan, I guarantee you the governors are going to be getting phone calls. Jay Powell is going to be getting phone calls from the left saying, hey, we got to do something about this when it comes to the economy. We've got no shot. Not that they have one now, but it'll be even worse. So as Kyle likes to use on me sometimes when we're debating 
stock decisions, he would say, well, what's the catalyst for that to happen, Jeff? So I'd, I'd pose to all you, what is the catalyst that would cause the economy to fall off a cliff and we'd have this many interest rate cuts? What is the catalyst? Because right now, the, the last GDP number we got for the for the third quarter was had a five, 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 five in handle. front of it. Fourth quarter, uh, two handle, right? That's their so I, I don't, so I don't, I yeah. haven't heard what the latest, you know, has is the is GDP down to two percent this quarter? I don't know. We won't even know what that number is until March, the final number. And if it's still mm-hmm. a positive number, well, it's you know, then you got to have a, a, another two more quarters before you could call it a recession. Uh, so, so at this point, you know, and and to, to lower interest rates six times, when was the last time that happened? Well, in '08, which was one of the worst financial, financial crises crisis. that we've ever faced at, at Davidson Capital, or you know, we really have to go back to the Great Depression. They lo- they cut rates seven times. You got to go back to 2001 was the last time the Fed cut cut rates more. You know, they cut rates 11 times in 01. So it's just not going to happen. So I don't know where these these companies come up with these outlandish predictions. To me, it's about just trying to get themselves noticed. They're, they're pulling a Meredith Whitney. That's what that's what we're going to call it. Yeah, nobody knows what you're talking okay, about. Okay, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll call it a Meredith Whitney. But right. Basically, she was an analyst that made this outlandish call that she actually happened to be right once, and she right. made an entire career off of it. So there's a, there's you're right, Jeff. The same thing. There, that's, that's true. Kathy Wood, ARC, classic case in point, hit the cover off the ball in 2020. She had been around for years, but it really made a name for herself. And now she's looking looked at as the anointed one and God's gift to money management with a strategy that's not very difficult. Find some of the most overvalued, non-profitable tech companies, load your portfolio up with it, and just ride them to kingdom come. But let's not forget that six six months ago, the narrative was totally was the exact opposite. So, as you say, as we warned our listeners not to get too far out on their skis, not to get too complacent that that this couldn't change on on a dime. You know, we get a we get a unexpectedly hot CPI number next week. And the sentiment may start to change again. So we've had this sentiment change flip flop several times this year. All you got to do is go look at the charts, and you can see exactly when this oh the sentiment's uh, more interest rates coming, markets down. Oh, uh, the sentiment now. Oh, they're going to. That's it. No more interest rate increases. Uh, they're going to start cutting next year. Stocks go up. At the end of the day. The one thing that we all should be mindful of is, and I heard this this morning. You know whether whether it's true or not. I think I think it's pretty true, Kyle. You can confirm yes or no. Forward earnings, S and P. You know the 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 PE ratio right now on S and P five hundred forward earnings is is just a hair under twenty, twenty times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If that Tom was, Lee, that, okay. All right, yeah. and we've got and we've got a ten-year Treasury at four point two on Friday, four point two percent yield on Friday. Well, the Treasury yield was in the ones, and we were at almost, we were at about twenty times S and P five hundred earnings. But remember, okay. strip out the magnificent seven. 
What's the PE? Because be because Tom Tom Lee, well, uh, who's I, who's one of the an, big analysts at Fundstrat, who's also one of the biggest bulls next to Jeremy Professor Jeremy Siegel, this morning or Friday morning, an article came out where he was giving his predictions for the market. And he was stating that he foresees the S&P forward guide on earnings from a price earnings multiple to be at 20. But let's hold right there. When we come back, I'll finish up at this point on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise, guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. If you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsincap.com. Don't forget you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Watch program, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, Jeff, you're bringing up the kind of Ford guide on the price-earning multiple for the S&P 500, and I mentioned Tom Lee. Now, for some listeners that pay a lot of attention to the financial entertainment press, particularly on CNBC or Read Market Watch, he is one of the head strategists of a company called Fundstrat, and he is definitely – for yeah, I would say ninety plus percent of his career, permeable, just like you know, typically Jeremy Siegel, the professor from Wharton School of Business, and so there was an article Friday morning in Market Watch where he was giving his predictions for the S and P five hundred from this point moving the end of twenty twenty four, and his percentage return is fourteen percent, which would take from now to the end of twenty twenty four is what he's stating the S and P upside potential is, which takes the P.E. ratio, Jeff, as you clearly stated in the last segment, to right around 20 times, you know, 20 times forward earnings on the price earning multiple. But the question I asked at the very end of the last segment is, well, if you strip out the Magnificent Seven, really where does that put the P.E.? Because when Tom Lee is making a prediction of the S&P 500, it includes those Magnificent Seven that are okay. market cap weighted that equates – for over 30% of the total value of the S&P as an index. All right. Well, I would say you'd have to go back to when the uh, 10-year treasury was at 1% yield and we were at about 20 times forward earnings and strip out all those same companies out of that measurement and see what the PEs are. Maybe they're about the you know, maybe they're still about the same. So, to me, there this market in 2024, there's 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 pockets of, as there is in every market, there's pockets of undervalued stocks, there's pockets of fairly valued stocks, there's pockets of overvalued stocks, and then there's pockets of extremely overvalued stocks. And so there, as a stock, to me, it's a stock picker's market. Because, if, you know, if you, depending on what index you were in this year, if you were, if you were in the S&P 500 index, and that was where the majority of your portfolio was was uh, invested. You did exceptionally well this year. And this this year, I cannot stress enough how unusual it is for the S and P five hundred to outperform the equally weighted number. It's exceedingly rare. Well, I think over it's only 
I think it's only happened one other time in the history of our company. That was in the early part of the 1990s. Because I'm looking, I'm looking at the statistics it's like right 12%. now. And I'm looking at uh, an account that has uh, performance. I'm, I'm going to look up an account here that has performance going back 34 years. This is account number one. The S&P 500 for 34 years. Okay, almost it'll be thirty-four at the end of this at the end of this month. The compounded rate of return with with dividends of the S and P five hundred was just a hair over ten percent, ten point ten percent. The equally weighted over the exact Even same that. time period was ten point nine one. Now, yep. eight, it's not to me. It's it's a little. It's got a little bit of statistical significance. But the point I'm making is, is that right now the spread between the equally weighted S and P and the and the market cap weighted S and P is 13 percent, which is 13 times what it is over a 34 year time period. So that's why I'm saying this is an exceedingly rare occurrence. So the likelihood of the market weighted S and P 500 outperforming the equally weighted S and P 500 in 2024 is small, and it's near, you know, almost zero for it to be, you know, 10 plus percent difference. I don't expect the Magnificent Seven next year to outperform as much as they did this year. Uh, our portfolios are not overweight of the Magnificent Seven. We only, I think, we own four of the seven. And there's right. and there's and they're still they're mostly in our in our portfolio their their percentage allocations are no different than the other forty plus stocks that we own. So we've 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 participated. We our clients have benefited, uh, but we haven't been overweight those stocks. And what I'm saying is, is I don't think you should be overweight those stocks in 2024 because I think the probabilities are low uh, that they will outperform that the way they did uh, this year next year. The same goes true, you know, the same holds true with, you know, growth versus value. Um, you know, value is a dirty word this year. Growth is a, is a very good word. Last year was exactly, in 2022, is the exact opposite. opposite. Growth was a dirty word. So mm-hmm. the, the conventional wisdom would say, well, should I be overweight value in uh, 2024? Well, and, what you're getting really, at is yeah. review yeah, your portfolio. Right. Going into the end of the year, this is the time to check it. We're giving you two, three weeks head head start on this. Start looking now and see what you need to evaluate in your portfolio. And see we're if doing you the are, same things. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're, well, we're doing it, the same things. And, 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 again, while we've been preaching from the beginning of this program going back to 2005, and, Joe, you say, you know, know what you own, but also that passive management is not a wise investment management strategy. You have to be active because, as we've said from day one, the markets can change in the blink of an eye. We were talking about sentiment earlier. Jeff was talking about charts, flip-flopping on sentiment based on every data point that comes out every single month, something we've talked about on past programs. It seems like in the last four to five weeks, these bond auctions have become a driver of market movements based on the grade that Rick Santelli gives them in the afternoon after the auctions are over on CNBC. The market's been and reacting. I, and I believe one of the more important auctions occurs next week. They, mm-hmm. The markets seem to be moving more 
on 10-year treasury auctions than anything. We've had other auctions here in the last few weeks, and I hadn't really heard much comments made about them, but I do believe that we have uh, – I know that CPI comes out before the Fed meeting. Um, the, I think the treasury auction may be after the Fed meeting. Since I want to say Thursday, but I'd have to go back and look at my list. Uh, next week's going to be – you know. Next week will be the news for the rest. Whatever whatever the big news is going to be, it's happening next week. After that, That's there right. really is no more big news for the remainder of the year. Well, while we're talking about equally weighted S&P and the S&P, and, and I was doing some educational meetings on the 401k side this week, and one of the things we'll do is with participants help them say, hey, we can do a portfolio review for you, take a look at what you have, and if you're – Spouse has money somewhere else. And one of the things I did see in the last week are a couple of people that are invested exactly like Jeff was talking about, where they have either 85 to 100% of their money in their 401k, and some of them are not insignificant amounts, and that's in P fund, 100%. I like, this is when you, why you need to check your statements before the end of the year and make sure, because the last two years we know one thing, whatever was doing really well last year, the trend changed pretty dramatically. So you have to take a really sharp look at your 401k portfolio or whatever you're doing and making sure you know what you own and why you own it and making sure you're not taking too much risk. Well, so, let's, let's, let's look at the end of October. I mean, an asset class that has been so unloved for so many years, a small cap, small capitalization stocks. And we've, and from a valuation standpoint, they're extremely attractive. You could consider the Russell 2000 as almost a value index based on its price earnings multiple. I was having a, a lengthier yep. conversation with another friend of ours here in San Antonio who's a money manager, and he was he's a big small cap fan, and he was giving me his whole technical analysis, which I won't bore our listeners with what we discussed. But when he was, you know, giving me price to book ratios and just all this st- statistical information, I'm like, wow, the entire index is just a giant value play, even with growth stocks in the Russell 2000 index. And so we've started to see some love flowing into that area. And trust me, from a strategy standpoint, uh, a value position that we own this year that we don't anymore, I, I, when I talk to clients, that that position could find itself back in the portfolio or start to be built that position again sometime next year because value has been so out of favor. And when you're in a falling interest rate environment, the dividend paying stocks, the value paying blue chip stocks become more attractive from a dividend yield standpoint as interest rates start coming down. And so the big $64,000 question is, are we getting cuts next year? How many cuts are we going to get? When is the first cut going to happen? Is the cut going to happen because the economy is dramatically slowing down? Or is it because inflation has dramatically come down with the economy still doing well without a high level of unemployment occurring? Because that's kind of the perfect scenario. Employment stays nice and strong. Spending is still going well. People are still having money sitting in dry powder on the sidelines. And we see monetary inflation continue to tick lower. You know, that's the soft, perfect landing, no smoke from the wheels as the jet is touching off, is touching down on the runway. That is the Goldilocks scenario. And and it and doesn't occur very often. No, it doesn't. It no, doesn't. It does not. It doesn't. And so and so for all of our listeners 
as we said, as Joe said, know what you own, review your portfolio, take a look at how you're positioned, making sure you have the proper asset allocation. As it stands right now for our moderate allocations, we're 55% stock, 45% fixed income, and cash. You know, so 55-45 is our current portfolio from a moderate asset allocation standpoint. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys, will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, um, what's next, gents? So we're going to talk about uh, excessive fees and uh, how to look for uh, fees in your statements, try to hold your advisor accountable. Um, if they're charging you excessive fees, are you receiving uh uh, exemplary returns. You know, if you're getting charged high fees, you're getting high returns. If you're not getting high returns, why are you, you know, what, what's, what's, what's charging high fees? You know, I, there was a few weeks ago we started this segment where we were out, we were, we were naming names. I think I'd, uh, talked about Ameriprise. Um, and I talked, talked about, about Edward Jones. I'll talk about Edward Jones, but I, we, we ran out of time a few weeks ago. And, you know, those two organizations are kind of cut from the same cloth. There's a, and the thing that bothers me most about those two particular organizations is the amount of money that they're receiving from uh, mutual fund companies and revenue sharing. Um, and the revenue sharing agreements cloud their judgment. And, and uh, in my opinion, uh, it, it, uh, it reduces their objectivity because you find portfolios that are populated with investments from organizations that are also on the list of companies that pay them to have their investments in client portfolios. And you know, that's a direct conflict of interest. And it's all disclosed in, in, in the uh, organization's disclosure documents. And the way that it works in this industry is if, if, if there is uh, some, if there's disclosures made that we are taking advantage of the cust- of the client, and that's to me that revenue sharing agreement is taking taking advantage of the client. Uh, then it's okay in the SEC's eyes, as long as this because disclosed. we disclosed it. It's legal. Disclosed it. It's legal. Now it's not disclosed on page one or page two, <laughs> page five, maybe page thirty it, or forty. It may be it may be you know paragraph six G sub sub chapter F on page forty two, for all we know. Yeah. You know, well, it's just there, like, but, it, but it's buried. You got, but you got to know, you got to know where to work. But here, let me just throw out a blanket statement. If you have money with these organizations and you're and you are in a managed account, the fees and expenses that you are paying and fees and expenses are comprised of the management fee itself, any additional program fees they put on top of it, and the expenses of the underlying investments. You're going to be all in for approaching 2% or more in most cases. 
And that's just way too high. And as we have said over and over and over again, the easiest way to increase the returns in any portfolio is to reduce its expenses. And the expenses are directly at the control of the investor themselves and who they do business with. And these two organizations I just mentioned, and there are many others, um, they are not managing your money. They're, man- they're managed. The, the person you talk with is not the one managing your money. Your money is managed somewhere else with some with a group of people that you're never going to have a relationship with. And these management fees and expenses that are all piled on top top of each other are going to be substantially more than you would pay to actually hire an investment advisor where you have a relationship with someone sitting across the table, sitting across the desk from you, that is actually making the investment decisions. And so on, we, let's, go ahead. Go ahead. Come I on. was going to just preface it with this. Even if you're working with a registered investment advisor, you do have to one, you do have to ask one very important question. Are you the person making the day-to-day investment decisions, the buying and selling within my account? Because one trend that we have seen now in our 35th year of business, a trend that we have been seeing, particularly over the last decade, is more and more registered investment advisors, like I said, Davidson Capital Management, who are full fiduciaries, outsourcing their money management. Very similar to the legacy distribution systems, the Merrill Lynch's, the Morgan Stanley's, the Edward Jones's of the world. And so you have to ask that very important question if you're sitting in front of an actual asset manager, registered investment advisor, full fiduciary, is are you making the investment management decisions yourself or do you hire what are called sub-advisors? We, we that call is it an important question. South Texas slang, because we're South Texas, right? Corpus of San Antonio. We call it farming out your money yes. management. Yes. Are you farming out the money farming management? Farming it out, because boy. Farm it out. You could be. You could be working with a full fiduciary registered investment advisor, and they're still not making the day-to-day investment decisions, and they're farming it out to somebody else who you will not have a relationship with who's also charging a fee to manage your assets on top of that. So that's something to be very, very aware of. And everything that we're talking about in this segment is easily found in every company's ADV Part 2. This is public information. Hold on, Joe. This is public information. You can go to brokercheck.com, type in the firm's name, and then click through the the uh, click-through buttons to the SEC website, and you pull up the ADV Part 2, which you can look in a PDF form. And as Jeff said earlier, yeah, you've got to dig deep into pages. You have to go to subchapter FQ of paragraph 3. I mean, you've got to dig in there. Just like a few weeks ago talking about Edward Jones with a prospective client I was working with who's now a new client of our firm, as I dig into the Edward Jones ADV Part 2 talking about their quote-unquote managed programs, and it clearly states in their ADV that we periodically review the portfolio. We may or may not periodically make changes. Well, you're paying a management fee. Do you want to pay a management fee for periodically having someone look at the asset allocation model and the securities that are in there, but you're getting paid a management fee? And and talking about reducing fees can put money directly in your pocket. Let's just do quick, simple math. Half a million dollar portfolio, you reduce your fees by 1% per year. You're sticking $5,000 into your pocket for doing nothing but lowering your fees. 
That's why fees are so critical. Let's say it's a million dollars. Now you're talking $10,000 a year. Well, $10,000 over 10 years, that's an extra $100,000 in your pocket that you're saving just by reducing fees, regardless of what the market does. That's why fees are so critical. But everything we're talking about is fully disclosed, and it's on public record that you can have access to. You just have to know where to look. And this is why we offer portfolio reviews and analysis, because this new client of ours in San Antonio, as I went through the review and analysis part, and they're sitting in front of my office, and I'm highlighting these sections from the Edward Jones ADV Part 2, their eyes you know, got big, and they're like, wow, we had no idea. And it's fully disclosed in black and white, but you have to know where to look. You have to know where to look. That's why portfolio reviews and analysis are so critical and why we've been offering them for the last 19 years on this program. So if you find yourself in this situation where you feel that you're paying too high in fees, you pick up the phone and you call us at 800-275-2162. With that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and continuing with more investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office, toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Moneywise podcast on Apple Podcasts, where you can like the show and leave us a comment. So, as we're diving into this second hour of this weekend's Moneywise program, shifting gears into investor education, is like we like to dedicate the second hours of every weekend's program going in and really pulling the curtain back and trying to educate investors uh, all across this state and anyone who's listening to our podcast and our terrestrial radio show. And was thinking about some topics from an educational standpoint and, and wanted, I came up with a title and I alluded to it just a little bit, but I wanted to talk about in this second hour of the things that Wall Street won't tell you. Now to give a little bit of history of Davidson Capital Management, why our father started our firm back in 1989, is he wanted to pull the curtain back on Wall Street. Pull the curtain back, bring integrity, honesty, ethics, transparency into the investor-advisor relationship. And in all of our years of business and all the hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of portfolios portfolio reviews we have done, we have come to just notice a very ongoing, consistent theme. 
when we do these portfolio reviews. And we're doing portfolio reviews from prospective clients that have accounts at Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Ameriprise, Fidelity, Schwab, Edward Jones. I mean, you name any major uh, brokerage firm in this country that markets on television, print, ad, computer, what have you, follows you all across the internet, we have reviewed these types of portfolios. And over the last 30 plus years of being in business, we just see these very consistent themes recurring again and again and again in prospective clients' portfolios. And we talk about it from time to time during the first hour of the Weekend's Money Wise program throughout the years. But I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into this topic and really pulling the curtain back and talking about the things of what these big Wall Street firms are not going to be telling you as an investor. And as we've said from day one on the Money Wise program is that you always have to dig deeper. You, you cannot take things for face value. You have to have your questions on hand when you're out there interviewing a prospective advisor that you're wanting to work with, or if you're already working with an advisor, questions that you need to go back and ask and get these answers. And if you're not receiving proper answers or answers that are just not making you feel very at ease, then maybe it's time for you to take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis to get that second opinion. And that's the purpose for us to be doing the portfolio reviews and analysis that we do and have been doing for the past 30 plus years is to give that second opinion to investors. So one of the first trends and themes that we're constantly seeing from all these major brokerage firms when we do portfolio reviews is portfolios that are just chalked full with a multitude of exchange-traded funds, and mutual funds. And when I say chalk full, I can take an example of prospective client's portfolio who is working with Fidelity. And in one account, not only had over 30 exchange-traded funds, but had over 25 mutual funds. So we're talking over 50 individual positions in either mutual funds or exchange-traded funds. And the first question that comes to my, my mind is, why? Why do you need so many? Why is this shotgun blast approach where tiny bits of this prospective client's assets were allocated to such a vast, large number of exchange-traded funds and mutual funds? So I think you have to remember about exchange-traded funds, for, you know, by and large, the exchange-traded funds that we invest in and we see that in these other organizations invest in uh, they are in, in and of themselves diversified investments they have hundreds of different securities inside say an individual exchange traded fund same holds true for mutual funds they can contain hundreds of different investments so when you have a portfolio that has 50 60 different exchange traded funds and mutual funds and each one of those exchange traded funds and mutual funds holds 100 plus securities. Well, you can imagine, well, that's it just if you each one of them held 100 securities and you had 50 different positions, that would be 5,000 different securities. Now, they don't actually own 5,000 different 
securities in, in all of these uh, exchange traded funds and mutual funds combined. What they end up, what ends up happening is, is there is so much overlap when you look at the portfolio in totality. They they might have ten different exchange traded funds and mutual funds that invest in the exact same asset class, which mean me like large cap growth stocks or small cap growth stocks or mid cap growth stocks or value stocks, so on and so on and so on. And so at the end, at the end, our opinion is when we see a portfolio like this to, to us, what it appears is it appears to be marketing more than anything, because it's not really serving the client. It's, it's, it's over diversification in names, but it's really, over, this is so totally over-diversified, it makes no sense to, to design a portfolio this way except for one reason, and that is marketing, in well, our opinion. And, and, and the marketing that also is appearance, right. to appear as if they're doing more right. in your portfolio than what they actually are. Because at Davidson Capital Management, if you're in our asset builder program where we own nothing but exchange-traded funds and no-load mutual funds, we don't have 25 different exchange-traded funds or mutual funds. You know, there's been times where we've had maybe up to nine, maybe 10, sometimes seven. What we do as portfolio managers, as in-house money managers, is we vet each and every one of the positions, each one of the exchange-traded funds and mutual funds to determine if they're, in our opinion, from our analysis and research, the best of breed for the respective asset class that we want represented in the portfolio at this particular time. And so I want to hold right there and we'll pick up this conversation on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in, for this weekend's Money Wise program, we're continuing with investor education and talking about what Wall Street won't tell you. And so before we went to break, talking about portfolios that we have reviewed that just have a multitude of exchange-traded funds and mutual funds, a, a situation where you get over-diversified in a portfolio, and why these major brokerage firms across the country do this. And in our opinion, it is for marketing. It is to appear as if they're doing more work in a client's portfolio than they actually are. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the process that we go through inside of our asset builder program, where we own nothing but uh, no-load mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. And these are for clients that have less than a million dollars of investable assets in one singular account. Now, when we go through our process, we're looking for best of breed. So when we're looking for a large-cap growth manager, we're sending the large-cap growth actively managed no-load mutual fund managers through our gauntlet. 
They're going through our proprietary process of research and analysis, utilizing our 70-plus years of combined experience here at Davidson Capital Management to find what we consider the best-of-breed large-cap growth manager for that particular asset class, period. Not two of them, not three, not six, but the best. Now, once we make a selection of that particular no-load mutual fund for that particular asset class, they will then be continuously vetted to ensure that they're adhering to why we have selected them to be inside of the portfolio for our clients. So we're going to be looking at consistency of style. We're going to be looking at the portfolio and the information we can ascertain. What are their top 10 holdings? How concentrated or unconcentrated are they? What holdings do they own? Do we continue to agree with their investment management philosophy? So once we buy this position, it's not just buy and forget it. We're going to be constantly sending it through our gauntlet. And if for some reason it falls out of our criteria through our proprietary system, guess what? They get sold. They get sold. So it's not just buy and hold. We're buying and it's constant homework. Joe, I know you wanted to say something. Well, sure. And I think going through this process and working quite a bit in the 401k space, we have our process already set up to where we know if one of these particular investments are going to be on the watch list. And from time to time, the three of us will put our heads together. But when you have a team approach, you really dive down deep into the, into the particular mutual funds. And one thing you didn't mention, Kyle, or I don't think, is manager tenure. You know, if you have a new manager in That's a right. mutual fund, what does that mean to that particular portfolio? We might watch it temporarily. And if it's somebody that's coming on board that's been with the team a while and they're going to take over the day-to-day portfolio management, you know, we might give them a pass. But but also part of the number side of it, and we were talking about this uh, a couple of times in the past, is portfolio management is just not numbers. There's also It's also art to a certain extent. And some funds may do better in a down market than others. Um, and I wanted to bring that up, too. I mean, portfolio management is a combination of multiple things. And that also bodes true with mutual funds and, to a lesser extent, ETFs. But, but And, again, that's where research comes into play. When we go through our research process, we're looking at upside capture. We're looking at downside capture. We're looking at all of these technical and fundamental indicators to determine whether or not we feel that this is going to be the best investment option. But what we have seen from the other big Wall Street firms is, well, let's just shotgun blast and put, let's put six, let's put 10 large cap growth managers. One or two of them have got to hit. One or two of them got to do a good year. Well, what about the rest of your money in the other five or six that are, are not doing well? What, what happens to the overall performance of your portfolio? You know, the other thing you have to determine and figure out, well, what are you actually paying for the multitude of all of these different investment options? If you do have 20, 30, 40 different exchange-traded funds and mutual funds in your portfolio, and we're just seeing this to be occurring more and more as the years have gone on. And I've had conversations with prospective clients that are with very large, very well-known, very reputable money managers where they have been told to their face that human beings do not manage money anymore at these firms. And they allow computers or algorithms to be making the investment decisions that, as you said, Joe, they're trying to equate money management down to numbers, down to technicals. But I hate to tell you, just Joe, just like you said, and this was something that our father taught Jeff and I many, many moons ago, is that managing money is a science, but it's also an art. 
And here's the thing that you have to remember. Algorithms are computer programs written by human beings. What if those human beings got their scenarios crossed? Their math was off. Their assumptions were wrong. That, that algorithm is worthless. It's absolutely worthless because human beings have to write the actual algorithm. And so what we have seen in these super mega money management firms is they have become victims of their own success, of their own asset gathering to where they physically can't have human beings managing money anymore for their clients. And so then you well, as well, they, client, they could, but they the could, problem is the problem is it's profits. That's right. It's profits. It's, it's profits. So the question you have to ask, if you were a client of one of these type firms, what, what am I paying my management fee for if a computer is doing it? So I'm getting charged all these management fees for the internal expenses for the exchange traded funds and the mutual funds. Then I pay a portfolio management fee on top of that. But you're telling me that you're having a computer make the decisions because you're just such a giant super tanker of a money manager you know the question i would be asking is what happens if there's a dramatic event in the market how fast can you move how fast can you make changes in my portfolio and they're not going to be able to answer that question and give you a definitive answer which leads us to really the most important part of i think really the most important part of all this is that the person that you're talking to the vast majority of the time at the big mega wall street firms the list that you gave in that first segment kyle and others is the person that you're talking to is not actually the decision maker the decisions are made someplace else either by a computer or a human in a computer and you never you have no relationship with the decision maker the only relationship you have is with the person that's charged with maintaining the relationship and so in, in the vast majority of cases, and I have never seen in the history of us doing portfolio reviews, I have never seen any of those Wall Street firms beat us in terms of management fees, overall cost to the client. So if, if, we're, if, our, if our value proposition at Davidson Capital Management is you get to actually speak with the people that are actually making every single investment decision and doing it for less than the big wall street houses in much more focused portfolios. You know, our, fo our portfolios are laser focused. The shotgun approach, the shotgun approach is like putting five quarterbacks on the field at the same time or putting five pitchers on the mound at the same time. <laughs> you don't do that. What do you do? You put your best players on the field. You got a bench, but you also have the best players on the field at the right time. You don't you don't buy ten different large cap stock ETFs and mutual funds and put them in the portfolio. That makes no sense whatsoever. Pick the best one. That's what you put in the portfolio. Why can't the big Wall Street houses, with all their people and all their computers and all their all the things they have at their disposal, research. Why? Why do they have to build a portfolio where they where, where they shotgun approach everything? Yes, Kyle. I, I can answer part of that question because the proprietary relationships they have with the outside mutual fund managers and exchange traded fund providers, and the revenue sharing agreements that they have. 
why charge your client a one and a quarter percent management fee where you can charge them one and a quarter percent management fee, then invest their money in a mutual fund that charges another one percent, and then that manager of that one percent mutual fund kicks back to you another quarter of one percent. And now you're charging your client, you're making even more money off of one client because of the kickbacks and the proprietary relationships that they have. So then as if you're a client of these types of firms, you have to ask yourself, are the players on my field the best players? Or are they the players that pay the biggest kickbacks to the firm that, that I work with? So then the firm that you're working with, you have to think, how objective are they in their investment making or portfolio design process when they're getting paid X number of dollars from this outside mutual fund manager or this outside exchange traded fund manager, are they truly objective? And I can answer that question right now. The answer is absolutely not. They are not objective when they're getting revenues shared with them. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, going into investor education, and uh, really this second hour, we're talking about what Wall Street won't tell you. And so before we went to break, we're talking about the lack of objectivity that we have seen, in our opinion, over the last 30-plus years of being in business with these mega-large Wall Street firms from the Merrill Lynch's to the Edward Joneses of the world to the Ameriprises, proprietary relationships, meaning revenue sharing that they are receiving from outside mutual fund managers, from outside exchange-traded fund managers, that clouds the objectivity of the firm that an investor is working with to ensure that these particular investments find their way in your portfolio. But the question you have to ask yourself, were these the best choices? Was this the best of breed? Yeah, Joe. Well, sure. Kyle, dovetailing on what you're talking about, and just the other week I was reviewing a – looking at a particular firm, and one thing we do is, yes, we research our investments. We also research – our competitors. We also look at their ADV part two, other disclosures, but if they are using proprietary mutual funds, a lot of times the the point is, what is Wall Street not telling you? Well, that firm, generally speaking, has to tell you, and it actually said there in black and white, there's a conflict of interest because this particular firm is using their own proprietary funds and it's disclosed in black and white. So you can actually pull back the curtain on Wall Street, but you have to know how to do your own research on this. And, and most individual investors won't. You can go to broker check. You can type in the name of the firm that you're working with, that you're thinking about working with, and you can go into their ADV Part 2 through the SEC website, 
to be able to research what potential conflicts of interest, what other proprietary relationships they have. I know of one particular firm that has commercials all the time. They actually disclose how much in revenue they're receiving on an annual basis from these outside firms. And so it, it's no surprise that when we do portfolio reviews of prospective clients that are working with this particular firm, why we typically see the top three mutual fund families that provide the biggest amount of revenue to this firm as the only three mutual fund families that show up in a portfolio. And, and, and again, this is, this is what should really be raising question marks above anyone's head that is working with these large firms. And then you also have to ask yourself, why am I working with these larger firms? Does a larger firm that have the marble columns, as dad calls it, the fancy, you know, the fancy offices, the big name brands, the huge marketing campaigns and all the commercials and what have you, does that provide a higher level of comfort to you? as an investor, a higher level of security. I mean, that is what they are relying on. This is why they do it. They're relying on their marketing and their fancy offices and all the sharp dressed folks that work for them to, to, to create this sense of security when what they're doing in the portfolios from our reviews and analysis isn't anything to write home to mom about. It's the we're big. And so we must be good if we're this big. Yeah. It just means they're bigger, great marketers. Bigger, bigger doesn't mean better. Bigger just means they, they spend more money on marketing. That's right. They're bigger asset gatherers. And, you know, we've utilized the MoneyWise program to educate for the last 16-plus years, to educate investors, to warn them. You know, we'll, we, we will make 10 investment decisions. Six to seven of them will work. Three to four of them won't. We're not saying that we're the end-all, be-all money manager, but the one thing that the, the multiple things that we are, it's transparent, completely honest and ethical. And as far as from a fee standpoint, there is not another firm on the street that can touch us when it comes to the management fees that we've charged. We have 100%. no conflicts of interest. And we don't have any revenue sharing. No one pays us to own any of their investments. All the investments are vetted and put into and, and, and client money is invested in it based on the merits of that particular investment, not based on any sort of revenue sharing agreement that, that we, that we don't have with anybody and never have had and never will have. Yes, Joe. Yeah, well, Joe. I, one of the things we're talking about it really about proprietary relationships with mutual funds in mutual funds, ETFs, but the one thing that we always emphasize is that as asset allocation. And when you have a down market or you have a correction or during the pandemic uh, or during the financial crisis, your first line of defense is what? And we all know what this is. It's asset allocation, right? Individual uh, equity act- select. Active asset allocation. Correct. So my point being is if you are interviewing an advisor at a particular firm, and there are some that are out there that do their own research, Ask them, do they create their own asset allocation models? Are they going with what the firm recommends? That's a very, that's a question you need to ask. And if that's the case, that's great. Ask them, okay, when was the last time you made a decision on a particular mutual fund or ETF or separately managed account that's, that, that's in that allocation? So well, getting it, I, that's a big part of, of the investment management process and active versus passive management is who's doing the allocations. 
Well, and, and, and you brought up a point because, yes, we're talking about all the major firms out there, and there are still some diamonds in the rough. There are still some traditional stockbrokers on the financial sales side of the business that deal, that still do their own security selections, that do manage their own portfolios. There, there are. They're few and far between, but there are. But your line of questioning, Joe, is absolutely dead on. Where are you finding your research? Because if they are selecting their own securities, whether it's mutual funds, exchange traded funds, or individual stocks, where are you getting your research? That is a great question to ask. If they're just getting the research from the firm that employs them, is that truly objective? I mean, I could bore our listeners with the multi-layered process our proprietary process that we go through in vetting every single security that we select at Davidson Capital Management, but I don't want, especially if people are listening to the show driving, I don't want to put them to sleep and cause any accidents. But when we go and do our research, we're getting our information from a multitude of different sources, not, you know, not, not to also exclude our own proprietary screening process of 44 points of screens that we have put into place. Screen one, 22 points. Screen two, an additional 22 points to vet our list of individual stocks when, when we're owning individual stocks. And then we cross-reference that from a multitude of other research firms, not just one, not just our custodian who's Schwab, we look at a multitude of different ones. And so that is another important question to ask. If you do work with an advisor that is actively selecting their own securities, but then to follow up if they are doing that selection is when was the last time you made changes in your portfolio? What is your performance track record? How old and long is that performance track record? Well, one thing when we're doing research and we use databases to input when we're doing a portfolio review, it's kind of interesting because there are some prospective clients that a year and a half ago have put everything into the software, put all their positions, all our asset allocations. And then maybe a year later or a year and a half later, they haven't come on board as a client yet. And I'll say, hey, can you give me that, that statement from that portfolio they reviewed a year and a half ago? If the allocations are the same and the securities are the same and they're charging you 1% or more, you really got to look yourself in the mirror and go, what am I doing? You know, and I've, I've seen it multiple times. That is not active management. That is a portfolio that is put together on hope and prayer. And and from a, a, a scientific versus, you know, science versus art perspective, you look set at it. Yeah, set it and forget yep. it is not a long-term successful investment strategy. And w- we certainly saw this in the financial crisis of 08, 09. Uh, where we met with prospective clients <clears throat> that had uh, monies invested with the big Wall Street firms. And when, when a client tells you, well, I lost 40%, 50% in, in 2008, well, I know two things that happened. One, there was far too much money invested in stocks in that particular portfolio. And two, no one was managing anything to have lost that much money. And that's what the vast, I think the vast majority of the, uh, of the Wall Street firms uh, count on the statistic that the market's going to be up 80% of the time. That's just what the statistics 
say? Se- 74%, but the, close. Okay. 74% since 1926. And so they, they play the probabilities. We just stay invested all the time. Yeah. We, we, we very rarely sell. We very rarely reallocate. We just – we're – we're always Final. in it for the long, we're long-term investors, quote unquote. <clears throat> and so the, the other 26% of the time when the markets are down, every once in a while, you'll have a 30% down year. It's very rare, but they're out there. Most of the time it's down five, down 10, whatever. But the point of the matter is, is there's no active management occurring. And really the key to long-term successful investment management it's not necessarily beating the S&P when you have years like when you have back to back or back years of up markets. It's keeping your hole shallow when the markets are down. That's where a real active management comes into play. Yeah, because remember, you lose 50 percent of the value of your portfolio. You have to make 100 percent just to get back to where you started. And I want to pick up on that point on the other side of the break. So let's do that now. Let's take our next break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts where you can comment and don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of this weekend's MoneyWise program and wrapping up our investor education on what Wall Street won't tell you, and right before we went to break, we were talking about what 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 we truly believe what builds and maintains long-term wealth. It's not capturing every percentage gain in up years. It's keeping your hole shallower in down years, playing a great defense. That is the best long-term strategy for offense. So we were talking about all the major brokerage firms of every name brand that you could think of that has commercials and print ads, what have you, going through situations like the financial crisis or even going back to the dot-com bubble bursting. As Jeff said in the last segment, when the stock market 74% of the time since 1926 has had positive returns, when we have those abnormal years where we're down, have a 30% down year like during the financial crisis or have dramatic, long, protracted pullbacks in the market, brokerage firms are just going to say, stay the course. Just stay the course. You don't want to you don't want to make any adjustments. You don't want to make any changes. Well, we would recommend, yeah, you don't go 100% to cash. We would agree with every Wall Street firm in existence. You never go 100% cash because that is a failed strategy. But playing a great defense with a proper allocation, active asset management, very stringent proprietary security screening process, and keeping that hole shallower allows you to recover that much faster. Because let's say you go down. 50% and you need a hundred percent to get back to where you started and to get to that hundred percent, it's going to take the next two to three years to get there. Well, what if your portfolio was only down 15% and then you were able to get back in at a lower price with the cash that was raised because there was active management 
and you played active defense, your portfolio would be far ahead of a portfolio that just was static during this downturn and didn't play defense. Another reason why Wall Street doesn't pay defense is because of revenues. Absolutely right. Because if they if, if they were to reduce securities in, a, in an investor's portfolio and go to cash for a period of time, those that that those securities that were sold would not be generating any revenue sharing for the firm because they would no longer be in the portfolio. And we saw that a lot with one particular firm, which I'm not going to name, that has a lot of revenue sharing agreements. Uh, but that's that's probably the biggest reason why Wall Street doesn't sell when 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 times get, you know, capitalism, the nature of capitalism is there's going to be booms and then there's going to be periods where things are very quiet, flat, if you will, and then sometimes they're busts. That's just the nature of capitalism. And so in the bust times, if Wall Street, who's, who would already be suffering because it was bust times, would go in and start selling in mass securities out of their clients' portfolios, remember it's buy low, sell high, if they did that, then they would also be cutting their own throats and reducing their revenues even more. And so they don't. And that's why we time and time again, we hear in the, when we, the tough times, there will be tough times again. There always are. We'll see these same folks in our offices telling us their story. Well, you know, we are doing so well for so long. And that's the other thing, you know, people get complacent. Investors get complacent when the markets do well for extended period of times, they don't care about revenue sharing. They don't care about way too many. They they don't care about management fees. They don't care about the, the, the excess number of securities in their portfolio. They don't care about how they vote, have 10 large cap mutual funds in their portfolio and 20 small cap mutual funds in their portfolio, because every month I'm getting a statement and it's going higher and I'm making more money. And I got a big smile on my face and you get complacent. But then when it turns, and it's like you come visit you know, someone like Davidson Capital and we look at the portfolio. So, well, here's the reason why the portfolio failed so miserably in the down markets for this, 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 and this. Oh, and by the way, you're paying this for all of this, this failed strategy. And people are like, wow, I wish I'd have known this. I wish I'd have heard you earlier. I wish I'd have heard if we this had segment. A dollar, if we had a dollar for every time we have heard that over the last 30-plus years, and we hear it all the time. And so our recommendation would be to save yourself the grief, not getting complacent, as we have always said, and take this right from Joe, stealing your thunder, Joe, knowing what you own. Well, if, if you don't truly know what you own, you don't truly know what your asset allocation model looks like, you don't know how much you're paying, you don't know if it's being actively managed, this is why we offer portfolio reviews and analysis to prospective clients to get a second opinion from a team of portfolio managers that have over 70 years of combined experience that truly manage money in-house that do our own research, that select our own securities. And oh, by the way, we haven't said it this whole segment, we eat our own cooking, meaning we personally own the same securities our clients own. So you can 
bet that they've been vetted to an inch of their life because if they're going to be going into my portfolio or Jeff's or to Joe's, they're darn good enough to be in our clients' portfolios, and they're going to be properly managed. So save yourself the grief before that downturn or on the other side of a downturn when you've lost 20, 25, 30% of your nest egg's net worth because you felt that, well, I was with so-and-so firm. They're so well-known. They've been around for 70 or 80 years. They have hundreds of billions of dollars under management. They're supposed to be good because I hear about them all the time. What, why did they not perform for me? And this is what happens. They're great asset gatherers. They're great victims, marketers. Great marketers. They're the victims of their own success at asset gathering to where they can no longer truly actively manage money hands-on and leave it up to a computer algorithm that was also written by a human being that could have a lot of different failed strategies in that algorithm and, wind, and who winds up becoming the victim of all of this? You, the investor. This is why we do portfolio reviews, to peel, to pull that curtain back and to tell you and to teach you and let you know about the things that Wall Street won't tell you. With that, we're coming up to the end of this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. You can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, subscribe to the Money Wise podcast on Apple Podcast. And with that, for Jeff, our good man Joe, this is Kyle Davidson wanting to thank you for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.